Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as host Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. This is your host, Mike Abadir, and I'm joined by my co-pilot, Gino Bicola. And boy, do we have a fantastic show for you guys today. Great guest lineup. And Gino, I want to get things started. If you're ready to rock and roll, we had an epic weekend of ball games: college football, NFL, baseball, with opening week in NBA. And things got started off right with some classic upsets in college football last weekend. And I'm thinking that we just get things rolling with our first guest. What do you say, G? Right now. Let's go right to it. Let's do it. So probably arguably the most exciting, entertaining, and prolific upset that happened last weekend was in the ballgame between Syracuse and Clemson. You had the national champions, Clemson, uh, coming into Syracuse for what they probably thought was going to be a little bit easier of a matchup in their schedule. And boy, were they wrong. We are joined by the field goal kicker who kicked the game winner against Clemson. I'm talking about Cole Murphy. Good morning, Cole, or good afternoon for you. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Thanks for joining us. And I want to just get things started with how has this week been after this uh, huge monumental victory for you guys? I'll tell you what, it's, it's been awesome. I mean, of course, you know, you, gotta, you, you want to celebrate, of course, winning a, a great game like that. And uh, Clemson did a fantastic job. But, you know, of course, you got to kind of focus on week by week. So, you know, once Sunday, Monday rolls around, you got to start focusing on the next week. So we're, we're focusing on Miami. And, you know, speaking of that focus, obviously head coach Dino Babers, who's done a fantastic job with this team, you know, has an up-tempo offense and a defense that's really coming on strong. What, what are the things that he does to keep you guys focused, especially when you guys are in the middle of a – a pretty difficult stretch of your schedule, you know, where, where that game that uh, was at home against Clemson uh, is followed up by a difficult road schedule coming up against Miami next week, who's number eight in the nation, followed by going back down and playing Florida State. What does the coaching staff do to keep you guys focused on one game at a time? Honestly, I think it's just the way that they carry themselves. Um, you know, every single week, we they have the exact same approach to every single team. doesn't matter if we're playing uh, Central Connecticut State, Clemson, Miami, no matter who it is, we always have that, that uh, how do I put it, it's, it's a very, he always feels like he's confident in us, and you can always tell that when he's, when he's sitting on the sideline, he always, he's very calm, but you can see he's always very confident in what, what he's given us and the amount of faith that he has in us. Well, and I think that's evident by the performance of the team, so let's talk about that game specifically. At what point during the game did you guys feel like, hey, we're hanging in there, we're controlling the tempo of the game? I know that you kicked a, a field goal before halftime to put you guys up by three. And what was it like during the halftime, uh, you know, discussions and, and you know, what were the coaches saying? And, and when did the team kind of start feeling that extra energy of, I think we could do this? Honestly, I think it was the second we walked in there. Um, once once halftime rolled around, we... Like, like you said, we were three points ahead, and we, we kind of knew. We were like, wow, we've got this. Um, it's one of those things where the way that we play, we usually go so fast, but if, it, if it's a close game at halftime, 
it's more than likely we're going to start pulling away um, going into the third and fourth quarter. We, I don't know what it was, but everybody walked into the locker room and they were all ecstatic. They were all really excited about how they played. And, I mean, you could tell they were still full of energy. Um, you know, the way that we run our, our offense and defense, our, we're so conditioned that our, our – uh, <clears throat> sorry, I'm trying to fix my, my voice. Um, no problem. Our 80% is everybody else's 90%. So if we can continue to just stay at 90%, other teams can't stay at that 90% for them, and they eventually just kind of wear down. Sure, that makes – Who's that okay. in the background? Who is that barking in the uh, background? Uh, that's uh, my dog. <laughs> so what, is it he, he or she? We, we all got pups. Who are we talking to? He wanted. Does it he or she wanted to be a part of the show? Yeah, no kidding. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, well, well, Cole. You know, you've you've been kicking now for a while, but it really seems like this year you've been a huge part of the team. You've made a couple field goals. You made at least two field goals in five times this season, and it really seems like you are a big weapon for this offense. What have you done? Uh, from last year to this year to seemingly take the next step. You're 12 of 14 in field goals. You're 22 for 23 in extra points. You've really seemed to become, um, you know, you've improved. Is it combination of stuff in the offseason, confidence? What did you do between last year to this year to take that next step? To be honest, a lot of it was just, it was all mental training. It was kind of just sticking to my routine. Um, like you said, last year I didn't really have that great of a year. And... I think that actually kind of helped me a bunch, kind of figure out where I need to be um, in the off season. I really, I thought about, you know, where do I want to be at the end of the next season? Do I want to be in the same spot where I was the previous season where I thought I was, you know, maybe middle of the pack, less than middle of the pack? Or do I want to be someone who sticks out? Do I want to be the top of the ACC? Do I want to be the top of the nation? And I think that's one of the things that really helped me was I, I hunkered down and I really said, you know what, I'm going to watch the film. I'm going to go out, I'm going to kick every single day, I'm going to get as many reps as I can in. And that, that really was the ultimate difference. And on top of that, also being a four-year starter, um, you know, a lot of people come in and they've only, they're juniors and seniors and they've only played for maybe a year, year and a half. Um, luckily enough, I have an advantage of playing four years. So that's one also thing that, that's kind of helped me give me a little bit of confidence. Absolutely. And, you know, it looks like you, you guys have some guys that, um, you know, play like they're, they're, they're veterans, and I think it starts with, with your quarterback. What kind of leader is Eric Dungy? Dungy's a great leader. Um, he's, he's one of those guys who you can always tell what he wants, and he always, um, how, how do I put it, he always, he's very, he's very open with what he wants. He's very open with how he, how he carries himself. He always demands perfection, and it's, it's something you could always see on the field. When he walks around, you could see, you're like, wow, that's Eric Dungy. And he always has that spark. He always talks to people. He's always very encouraging. But you always know exactly what he wants. And uh, it's kind of the same thing with Coach Babers. You can always tell he's very confident and he's very composed. Well, that's fantastic. And, Cole, uh, before we let you go, i got to ask your thoughts. I know you're a big soccer fan. I know you played high school soccer and could probably play at the collegiate level. What are your thoughts about the United States men's national team not qualifying into the following World Cup? Oh, man. I, I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm, very, I'm very disappointed. Um, you know, I was, I was looking forward to it starting in 2014. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's kind of a wake-up call. I think it's, it's time for us to kind of realize, you know what, maybe we don't need to carry so many veterans who, I mean, not to say that Clint Dempsey and Tim Howard and all these players aren't fantastic because they are, but 
one of those things where if you just keep playing the same players, they're going to keep getting older and older. Um, and you can't just rely on Dempsey and Pulisic, who's the new guy, who's, I think he's 19, to, to carry a team. You have to have a bunch of young players coming in. Um, and, I mean, I know the U-17 national team just qualified for the U-17 World Cup, which that, you know, that is a little bit of a relief for me. I think in the next World Cup, if we do qualify, I think we'll do very well. But, uh, you know, it's always a letdown when your team doesn't make the World Cup. Yeah, it really is. And hopefully, like you said, this will be a wake-up call and these guys will get their act together and we can you know, look, look forward to seeing what we've been seeing every four years, which is the United States men's team qualifying and giving 100% effort. I think that was probably the one thing you know, Gino and I talked about last week that was lacking was the effort level and uh, you know, great observations on your end. Cole, we thank you very much. You guys have a a really exciting team, a lot of really good players, well coached, and you know probably arguably one of the nation's top receivers. And and Steve Ishmael and well, and great, kickers, and kickers, and, and kickers, and, you know, <laughs> and, and, and great guys on the defensive side with Paris uh, Bennett and and Chris Slayton, and you know we're hoping to really be able to see Syracuse close strong and, and finish in a bowl game. And if we get to that point, and you got a little bit of time in your schedule, we'd love to have you come back on and. Hopefully talk about how you've now broken the Syracuse all-time record in field goals. I think you're, what, seven field goals away from doing so. So let's, uh, let's stay in touch, Cole, and best wishes for you guys in this uh, stretch run for, for, for Syracuse football. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Cole. Have a tremendous afternoon. All right. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Yeah, well, uh, when he kicks the game winner against Miami next week, we'll have him call back on uh... – back on with for a minute with the pup him and the yeah him and the dog can call back and uh and say what's going on because we all that's always such a fun a fun moment in, in podcasting when you hear well i you know i listen to tons of different radio shows podcasts and you hear someone's doing just like what we're doing and the dogs are barking in the background luckily bug <laughs> roly and ellie they stay right outside the door for me they scratch at the door a little bit but they don't really bark too much so yeah i i do a good job of bribing them with the with the treats you got to keep the treats handy of course of course with so Raider, we know oh yeah so while we're waiting for our next guest to join us which is going to be Simeon rice let's uh let's recap some of the you know, bigger sports events over the last few days. And uh, I'm thinking well, a great starting point would be the Dodgers series. Yeah, yeah, the Dodgers have been playing awesome. And, you know, and I, I, as a Dodger fan, I can't be disappointed with a, uh, a loss last night, um, which was on Wednesday evening. That's their first loss of the playoffs. They were trying to uh, to sweep the Cubs. And, you know, generally you're not going to take down a, a returning champion that easily. They're going to put up a little bit of a fight. There were a few moments where it looked like the Dodgers had a big opportunity to come back. They actually grounded into a double play with a runner on in the the top of the ninth with Justin Turner on deck. That was. It seemed like for the first time last night there were a few either or things that didn't quite go the Dodgers' way. I'm not calling about that. I'm not talking about that horrendous foul tip call on Granderson. That was a horrible call that should not have been. Uh, been called whatsoever um, just as far as um in between balls uh good plays back and forth fouls versus fairs a lot of things that were going the dodgers way for the last couple weeks in the playoffs didn't seem to last night so they got to bounce back tonight with kershaw and i think they'll be fine and uh it could be uh you know, right now with the Dodgers up three to one and the Yankees up, Dodgers Yankees is what we're looking like. But that that series is definitely not over yet. Houston's not just going to go away either. So, 
It should be fun, Mike. And we should recap our uh, bets from last week, too. Yeah, we, we should. But, hey, before we do, I was in disbelief at how the umpires handled that foul tip. You mentioned that foul tip. I've never seen anything like that. I mean, Madden had an absolute right to be livid. It was a horrible call. It was a horrible call. I've never seen them um, review a call like that. And uh, I believe they said today that they made a mistake on the call. And I'm a Dodger fan, you know. I, I'm, I'm always going to, especially in the playoffs, when every every extra pitch or every extra base runner that you get is huge. That was, you know, that could have been a humongous opportunity. That could have cost the Cubs the series. Had the Dodgers not had Granderson up there at that moment, who's just been putting up awful at bat after awful at bat after awful at bat, Normally, th- when that happens, the next pitch is a home run. Immediately, immediately. That's just the way the karma goes. You know, it, it's it works that way. And uh, it was a horrible, horrible call. It Absolutely was a horrible, terrible call. call. <laughs> I mean, a horrible call. I love. I, I take advantage of it. The Dodgers did not, and uh, I can't imagine Granderson's going to be back in the lineup now. He's just an automatic out every time he's up. Yeah, you know, you 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 think that his presence in the lineup is is more so about the experience and the composure that he's got but yeah i'm with you i know you mentioned that last week and uh you know dave roberts has been pushing all the right buttons so far so we'll see who how he handles that let's shift back back into baseball in a few minutes here and let's welcome in our next guest you ready uh you ready gino for 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 the main the the main uh, feature of the of the program today well, what do you mean? We got a jack of all trades. We got a stud former football player. He's also a writer, a movie director. He's done a little bit of everything, man. I was uh, I was really interested when I was kind of reading about Unsullied and some of the things that he's done off the field. Yeah, this guy's a stud. Super Bowl champion, future Hall of Famer, nineteenth all time in NFL history in sacks, three time Pro Bowler, four time All Pro, NFL Rookie of the Year. Set all sorts of records in college, in the pros, doing amazing things since then. We're talking about the one and only Simeon Rice. Good morning, Sim. How are you, my friend? What's up, Mikey? How you doing? I'm doing well, man. How you doing? I'm fantastic, bro. I, I really am. Things are already looking, looking better. I can't Outstanding. Well, Gino and I have been uh, looking forward to having this conversation with you for some time, so... Let's get it started Gino, right out of the what's up, game. baby? How we How doing, doing, Sim? D- great. Well, we, I got to ask you right away. Right away. First things first. What's going on with the Bucks? <laughs> the Bucks, <laughs> man. You know what? They're just in the, they got a very young team. They got a very young team. They got players. They got to grow. And, and, and this is a stage. This is a day and age where teams try to do it really. But I think they need some veteran leadership. I, I really do. Uh, you know, and, and I'm one that can't believe I'm speaking in that vein uh, because I, I always see myself as, as kind of a, like an innovative person. And although I have some traditional perspectives, I'm optimistic about life in a very futuristic way. However, I, I truly believe that they need some veteran, uh, they need some uh, veteran leadership. And I'm not talking about rah rah stuff. I'm talking about some some. So they need some championship-quality guys or some guys that's been in the playoffs on that D-line and on that defense to really show guys what it really forms to, to really get into the next level. What it to, to, to be a great player, to, 
to uh, to go out and finish the task. These guys, they, they come up short oftentimes in, in big moments because I, I, I truly don't believe they're just aware of the moment. They don't play to the moment. They play flat on the biggest stage. And to me, that's a mark of a team with uh, uh, several individuals that haven't had maturation yet. They haven't matured yet to the point where this they understand that moment. This is your moment. This is your this is your your stage. The spotlight the spotlight is on you. It's time to show up, show out, and show what you're all about. I just don't think they possess those qualities yet. And if and if they do to an extent have some of those similarities, they don't come out on a big stage. They come out they, they win games they're kind of supposed to win. They lose games that they're supposed to uh, win. So you know they just they're very inconsistent as a team. What do you think of the maturation and the progress of Jameis Winston so far? Uh, I just I don't think he quite really understands. I think he I think he has a, a concept of uh, leadership, but I don't I don't think he really really understands the gravity of those moments. You know what I see from from uh, uh, he 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 he's kind of emulating in my mind. What he, what it takes to be a champion, what it takes to be a winner, you know the rah rah stuff, the come on guy stuff. You really do it on the field. So when you do it on the field, the team kind of it's like it's magnetic. It's like everybody starts feeling, everybody starts feeling connected to that energy and start playing through that energy. They don't play with that energy because individually they don't they don't possess those moments where they where they can just dominate in those moments where the team can connect to those moments and play off with that energy. You know, you look at uh, Jamison, he's in the power of possession, uh, power and influence as a quarterback, but the production just doesn't show it. It just doesn't, you know, in timely moments. It just doesn't show it, in, in my mind, you know, especially from last game, you know what I mean? And now he's hurt, he's out. So it's like the next man up mentality. But when you have a next man up mentality, that often works around veteran leadership. It works around veterans. But Sam, let me ask you though, don't, don't you think have. let me ask you though, don't, don't you think that some of what you're talking about is also reflective of the fact that the NFL is just thin on quarterbacks overall? Yeah, I, I do, you know, to a certain extent, but uh, the, the best player is going to be the best player. Whether it's a quarterback, whether it's an offensive lineman, whether it's a linebacker, whether it's a corner, and those guys have that ability to step up. I, I think uh, the NFL tries to create a narrative, and that narrative is like uh, games that is won and lost with quarterback play, and that's far distant, far from the truth. And, and it's not because I'm a defensive guy; it's just what it is. Games are won and lost because of defense. You know, if you have dominant defense, then your 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 defense allows you errors. Your defense allows your offensive offensive team to make mistakes and grow, because they can support mediocrity. They can support uh, teams that offenses that's not at their best, special teams that's not at their best. They can support bad field position, good field position. You know, uh, and your your a great defense can become an offense. It can score points for you. And uh, when you look at Tampa Bay, they don't have a, a great defense. You know, well, and I not, think that it's just a, just a split above mediocrity to me. 
Sure. Well, I think that guys like Dan Marino and Warren Moon would probably completely and wholly agree with exactly what you're saying because, you know, they, they put up 35, 40 points uh, a game and, and, and still still couldn't get, couldn't get over the hump. So I, I hear exactly what you're saying from the defensive perspective. I mean, they always say in the playoffs, defense wins games, right? Yeah, because you don't want – think about this, Mike. And, and, you know, you don't want to – if you're a player, if, if you could think like a player for a minute, and you're excited about what your offense can do offensively, but your defense can't shut anybody down. Now it comes down to who got the ball last. It comes, it's a possession game. Who got the ball last wins. Whether it's a field goal range, whether it's a touchdown, it's like we can't stop them, they can't stop us. And now it's, it's like a, a toss of the coin. Whoever you manage in the clock to have the game at the end of the game, the ball at the end of the game. Because if you got the ball at the end of the game, conventional wisdom says you got a shot. Absolutely. Well, we are up against a break right now, Sim. So why don't you hang on to that thought? Let's get to our first commercial break of the show. And when we come back, we will keep the convo going with my main man, Simeon Rice. We will be back in a few short seconds. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. If you're looking for more information on firearms and the shooting sports, check out Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Kelly is the owner of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks with over 40 years of experience. Now he's ready to share some industry luminaries and their perspectives with you. If you're interested in firearms, whether it be for shooting, for fun, competition, hunting, or self-defense, Kelly is here to share his wisdom and experience. Listen live for Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan, Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby on Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back, everyone. Mike and Gino are joined by the man himself, Simeon Rice, and uh, we were going to Pick up where Sim left off talking about defensive uh, schemes and what they mean to a ball club 
and their chances for success. And if, you know, the quarterback position gets maybe a little bit too much credit. But before we get back into that, Simeon was just telling us about a uh, Rob Ryan on the Undisputed with Shannon and Skip earlier today made some comments that irked Sim a little bit. So want to ask him no, you about that. You don't mean that. Simeon, you mean Warren Sapp's uh, running mate, next, <laughs> next door neighbor, right? <laughs> well, it, you know, it's to the extent of this, you know, when guys, it's funny when guys, you retire and, and you hear all these different narratives. One thing my coach told me, uh, Rob Marinelli, when I retired, he said, Simeon, you're going to look back at this game and because of the way you played it, and you'll understand who's great and who's not. That's simple as simple as, just like that. He said, because of the, you played the right way, when you finish this game, you'll be able to look at this game. And for five minutes, you could tell somebody if they're a player or if they're not. Because, because of the way, the standards in which we play with. And I'm listening to uh, Shannon Sharp speak about the, the Dallas Cowboys defense and about how they're not great, and they're running our Tampa 2 system. And he said, it's not working because they don't have a sim- uh, uh, Warren Sapp and a Simeon Wright. And Rob Ryan gets on and says, well, Shannon, anybody that lined up to next to Warren was basically able to have success based upon what Warren was able to do. And I'm like, that's so far from the truth that that's the simple reason why they brought me down to Tampa. <laughs> because, you, because Warren was getting double teamed all the time and none of the players was able to beat one-on-one. They couldn't beat their matchups. When I came to Tampa, and, and first of all, when I was in Arizona, I averaged the double, double digits in sacks. So this crazy, I was an all-pro before I got there. I was rookie of the year of the NFL. <laughs> so my success was based upon my offseason, about how I went in the offseason, about how I trained, about all the things I ultimately wanted to do. Although I played with Warren and I had the best time in the world playing with my brothers on the football field, my, my, ability, my, my ability on the field was based on hard work and dedication. And, and if you knew our Tampa 2 system, Marinelli split us up because they would slide the line and literally try to double and, and triple team both of us. So he said, I'm going to split. I didn't, we didn't even line up next to each other oftentimes. <laughs> he would line up on the left side of the uh, uh, left side of the, the line against that guard, and I would line up on the right side of our, our our line, and then we would go eat. And I'm going against the left tackles, the perennial tackles in the league, the, the Orlando Paces of the world, the Jonathan Ogdens of the world. Those are the guys that I was having success against. Those are the guys that I faced week to week in matchups, you know, and, and the. And I didn't never complain in my career about getting double teamed and triple teamed, and I got all that. You know what I mean? And, and keep in mind, when, when Sapp left Tampa, I was still averaging double sacks. <laughs> so that narrative that it came from one person, is, is, it's, a, it's a false narrative. It's not even true. And I can listen to these guys that's like talking heads now, that coaches that, that kind of try to minimize and marginalize what I was able to do on the football field. And those are the very reasons why I was not in the Hall of Fame right now. You know, and I was going to get to that, uh, and I was going to ask you that very question, which is, why aren't you in the Hall of Fame right now? So I guess you're, in part, you just answered it right there is because of that false narrative. What, what are some, yeah, what are, there's a what, lot of false narratives going on. It's a lot of, 
They, these guys, they just come out and just they just spew they just spew falsehood. If you talk to Warren Sapp, if you talk to Derek Brooks, they all talk about me in their Hall of Fame speech. There's a reason why all of them. Uh, I got messages of, of my teammates said, "Thanks for bringing us." Warren just sent me a text the other day, like sent me out, "Thanks for helping me bring." Uh, thanks for bringing a, a Super Bowl to uh, to Tampa. Those are my teammates. These are the greats of the game. You know what I mean? It's the reason why we want to go off and say there's no way a straight hand or whoever else as DN should be in the Hall of Fame, and I'm not a first ballot guy. It's the reason why my teammates said these are my teammates. They're not just saying it because they got they love me. They 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 do, but it's more it's much more than that. It was the performance week to week that they were able to see on the field. It was the hard work and dedication that they seen on the field. It was the it was a it was a decade of dominance against the best of the best I played against in the NFL. And that's just the truth of it that matters. And then you know, I, and I'll, let me let me jump in with that because yeah, I, I, I listen to coaches go on on like an ESPN. I listen to like a skip Bayless and be like, I don't know because you know I wasn't I'm not I was I didn't play in the age of of social networks. Yeah, and, and they didn't play the game. A lot of these commentators don't fully understand the game or they look at it from a certain perspective. I also have a different perspective, and some may say that it's not objective because I've worked with you on a, on a, you know, uh, a business level, but I can separate myself from that and I can look at it and I can say the following, which is one is a Hall of Famer if when they retire – they are a top 10 in any category in professional sports. I don't care what it is, as long as it's a good category, if you're in the top 10, then that's huge. In the history of the sport, you were ninth all-time in sacks at the time of your retirement. But more specific than that, there are two things that I look at, which is how the game was changed because of a certain player, right? Whether it be a, you know, a, a Michael Jordan or or a Jackie Robinson, or whoever it might be, how did the game change because of that player? And from my vantage point, I see that how the offenses game planned for you and because of you was impacted. The other thing that I see is how defensive coordinators up until this day use pass rushers has changed because of you. Talk about those things from that I just laid out from your perspective as the player who was there and did it. Well, when I came in the league, when I first came in the league in 96, they didn't know what position I was going to play. Said I, was, I wasn't big enough to play DN and that I was possible going to be an outside backer, you know, in the vein of like an LT. Once I showed myself um, that, once I showed myself that I had the ability and, and that I could put my hand in the dirt and I can hold up against the run and I can hold up against offensive tackles, and I could play the run. I played every. I was an every down player. I was able to really show what speed and power and speed and change up can do on the field. And then they found the, the Javon Kirsten of the world and the Jason Taylors of the world, and they started bringing these hybrid. Because at first it was a, I was a hybrid player. If you first remember, I came in the league. They was like he's this hybrid player. You know, I was a four three guy, four four guy coming off the edge. I was a ten three guy in the hundred, hundred meter dash. So. You, you put that on a defensive end, that's extremely explosive. So then they start looking for these, these fast guys, these guys off the edge where they start qualifying, like, size almost don't matter. Like, so now you have guys going on, like, a, a Mathis down in Indianapolis and um, 
and Freeney down in Indianapolis. You got guys like that. So now they're looking for book-in defensive ends that change the game. You know, and the first two bookends at when when I was younger in the league when I was, was me and Andre Wadsworth. If people remember the narrative, we had the number one defensive line in football in Arizona. We had the, we were number three in defense in Arizona when I was in. We were two games away from the Super Bowl, and that's after years that. Uh, in Arizona, and I don't think people remember that far back, that they hadn't been to the playoffs in over 50 years almost. You know what I mean? And when we, when I came here, I was able to change us from being a dark horse team to actually being kind of relevant and in the in playoffs and challenging for Super Bowls and things like that. Well, at least going into the uh, playoffs. Was so that the I'm team like, that okay, upset the Cowboys, I, by I, the way? I felt like I was at the ceiling. So then I said, you know what? I looked across the league at the map of the league, and I said, you know what? If I play with someone that can affect my play most as, as a passer from the inside, I need somebody from a, to get an inside push. I was thinking, like, a book is we could come around the edge, but we still won't have a push inside. So I said, I need, a, I need to play with somebody dominant on the inside. And I looked at Warren Sapp. I'm like, he's on the inside, and we talked. We talked. And before I even came to Tampa, I got on the phone with Rich McKay, the president of, of the Atlanta Falcons now. He was a GM with us. And he would tell you, I was on the phone with him. I said, if I come to Tampa, we're going to win the Super Bowl within the first or second year. We won the Super Bowl in our second year. The confetti is falling at the Super Bowl. And this is stuff that no one knows. Rich McKay walked up to me, hugged me, and was like, wow, Simeon, you kept your word. Doing the Super Bowl. There you have it, folks. That's a walk down memory lane with how they got there. And let me ask you this. Did Tony Dungeon get a raw deal? Uh, I won't say a raw deal because things happen in the NFL, man. It is what it is, bro. You know, um, it was it was unfortunate. You know, it's unfortunate. But then we had John came in and John picked up right where Tony left off, and we got it done. You know what I mean? Life happens the way it happens, and Tony went on went on to win in Indianapolis. So Tony had Tony is a Hall of Fame coach. Tony have no regrets. You know. Uh, what he did is, is, is help create a situation where another coach was able to take that situation and, 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 and finish what he started. So, and finish what the organization was at. This is where we were at. We, we brought great players down there. We were already primed and ready, and we got it done. And uh, So I don't look at Tony as having a, a bad deal because it was just an unfortunate situation at that time, but it was fortunate in the same sense because he was able to go on where he was and pick off where that that coach left off in Indianapolis and get them to the Super Bowl. So Absolutely. Everything happened for a reason. Sure. And who, who's been the most impactful of all the guys that you've named? I know personally you've told me many times that Rod Marinelli has been somebody that you look up to and admire and has really helped out with your game. And he really uh, appreciates your game and has a lot of respect for you. But between the Dungies and Marinelli's and Gruden's, who, who's, who's kind of at the top of your personal Mount Rushmore in terms of him working with you and, and helping you get to the next level? Well, well, working with me was Rod because he, he really understood what I was. He understood I was the most dominant player in the game. That's what Rod just flat out understood. And Rod had no problem telling me that. That's why he still run our defense. That's why he still believe in that defense. Because he's still, he still believing that there is players out there. And he, he understand that I was a special one and Warren was a special player and we had special players. And, and Rod believes because he's seen that, uh, that what that defense can do at its highest level. You understand what I'm saying when guys that buy in. 
So Rod was a guy that was instrumental in putting together a game plan around the players that he had in terms of who I was. So he allowed me freedom. He allowed me to play with my special skills. He allowed he he, he allowed me to play with a certain level of confidence. When it, when he were put, when they were putting together a defensive plan, Rod Marinelli and, and um, Monty Kiffin, Rod will oftentimes come to me about our scheme and about what we can do with that scheme. And if I came, to, if he came to me and said, Simeon, we need you to take care of the right hash to the uh, sideline, can you take care of that? I could say, and if I told him, yo, they're not going to get outside of me, that was the game plan. <laughs> so we have three flowing linebackers inside. We had that level of trust in the guys that we played with and, and, and the players that we played, the great players we played with. He would come to us individually and tell us about the windows. Some guys' windows was bigger than others. And he told us about our expectations and what he expect from us. So he leaned on the great players. He leaned on myself. He leaned on Warren Sapp. He leaned, he leaned on, you know, Armani Kiffin leaned on Derrick Brooks. Uh, Mike Tomlin leaned on John Lynch and uh, Rondé Barber and Brian Kelly. These guys, we were all instrumental into a, a big piece of, of that, what that defense was. And that's one of the best defenses of all time. You know what I mean? So, and, and again, the game plan was this cool. The game plan was a game plan, but we were the players. The game plan came alive with us, and we all understood that. He wave a piece of paper in the air and say, "These are just X's and O's. You are the guys to get these things done." So, oftentimes, the uh, the leadership came, and the leadership came to playing with a high level, but it was through expectations of what we were expected out of us or what we were able, able and, and what was accomplished for us as well. Simeon, I uh, wanted to ask you about today's game now. Um, you know about awesome defenses and quality play. Who this year in particular, in what's been a year filled with parity, who impresses you this year defensively and just overall? Who are a couple of the teams that you think are going to be hanging around at the end of the year? Uh, Kansas City Chiefs, no doubt. I love what they do. I love what Alex Smith is doing. I love what that defense can do. You know, it's exciting. Uh, they play with a certain level of brilliance. And um, the next team I would say would be probably, you know, you always, you never can discount uh, what, what, what the Patriots is doing, but what, what the Eagles is doing as well is special. You know, they got, they got a, a young budding star and went. And that defense is playing on another level. So you, you have to, when you have two units that playing at the, some of the highest levels, you have to take notice with that. So those are two, uh, two uh, standout teams to me right now at this point. But, you know, it's the NFL, so it's week to week. we got to see how these teams hold up. It's still early. You know, it, they haven't even made it midway through the season yet. So they just pretty much finishing up the first uh, quarter of the season. So it's a lot of football to be played. There indeed is. Hey, Sim, do you have a, a few more minutes to hang with us after the next commercial break? Yes, I do. Okay, very good. Then let's uh, let's use this as an opportunity right now to take our next commercial break. And then after the break, we'll ask Simeon about some of the things that he's working on today uh, with respect to, you know, the, the some of the film stuff that he does and things of that nature. And we will get all that information from him in a few minutes. Please join us right after this next commercial break.
your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fans' perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network. And let's talk football. Get ready for the Get Down with Hurley Brown. Want to get inside of the minds of the players and coaches? We'll talk everything sports, but with a focus on the NFL, NBA, and college football. We'll review and preview the week's big games. We'll talk about the draft choices and free agents and go inside the teams for news, recruiting, and what's next from the colleges to the pro teams. It's the Get Down with Hurley Brown, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific, on Voice America Sports. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking NFL football and everything else relating to the man himself, Simeon Rice. We've got Sam just for a couple of more minutes. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about what you got going on with you today, Sim, uh, with respect to the film and productions that you're working on. And also about this new startup Fancom.fan, the media platform. Why don't you tell us a little bit about both before we wrap things up, Sim? Okay, Fancom.fans. Fancom.fans is a new uh, media platform where you can actually go and talk real football. You could, you know, it's we, we got a platform where teams and we have representatives from each team in the NFL, and, and basically you can go on there and talk football, if, you know, because when you look at the the what's out there now, the array of just, platforms of sports and from ESPN to Fox and however you get your sport information, it comes down to tabloid. There's no more pure discussions about the sport anymore. It's just more like sensationalizing what's going on in terms of everything outside of the game. Well, on FanCon fans now, it's more, it's, it, it speaks more to the fans who wants to talk about uh, football, who wants to talk to their favorite uh, sports person on their given team about the sport that they love. And, 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 and where you can learn about the sport, where you can get the insight of the game, where you can learn football in its purest form, where you can talk strategy, where you can talk upcoming events and games and what to expect from your favorite sports stars out there, from your from legendary players that played the game. 
and it it it, it does a great job. They they created this great platform. Well, they have the uh, technology to to revert trolling, uh, swear words, uh, people that are coming out with my, you know uh, mis- misogynistic perspectives. So it comes down to real sport conversation, and it's lending itself back to the sports fan. And that's, yeah, that's, that sounds real uh, good. It's, it sounds like they block out all the negativity, and it's a real honest, raw platform that people can just interact with uh, their favorite players. Exactly. No, that exactly. sounds fantastic. And anything that you're working on before we let you go, Sim, on, oh, uh, on so, the film so side? Fans go out there, sign up, fancom.fans, and register, and and. You know, they're going to be doing giveaways. There's so much stuff on there. It's, so, it's, it's, it's a beautiful platform. And, and the next project I'm doing is right now in terms of film is called They Will Kill. I'm working on a script right now. It's a, a psychological thriller. It's hopefully due to release in like 2019. Very good. Well, Sim, we, we have to bring you back because there's just so much more to talk about. So hopefully the next time we talk to you, we're talking about you being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Best of luck with that. And let's try to see if we could circle up and talk about the uh, Bucks maybe a little bit later on during the season as well. Thanks so much, man. Awesome, Simeon. Thank you so much, my friend. That's Simeon Rice, everyone. Take care, Sim. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely awesome. That I mean, well, I could talk with him for four hours because he's got just so much insight and knows the experience. game inside out. Experience. Yeah, fantastic guest, fantastic guest. We've got another fantastic guest coming did up you, right did now. Did you see the big announcement this morning? He made a big announcement this morning. Why don't you morning, tell us? Our next guest, and he's going to be coming on right now, and I promise that the next time that he comes on, he'll have his own theme song, and he'll be the only one with the theme song. Like when I go on the, the barn, the Bet America Radio Network, good friend Jason Beam coming on. He's the host of the Bet America Radio Network. It's the podcast, The Barn, and it is the Honestly, it's as far as racing radio shows are concerned, it's the absolute best. Jason covers everything. He is hilarious. He's a writer, a f- track announcer. He's done a little bit of all. Um, he's got some great stories, and he joins us right now. Jason, what's going on, buddy? You know, Mike, it's good to be with you guys. I do have to warn you, though, I don't have any stories about being in the Super Bowl. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So, no, so I, I, I just want people to be prepared for a well, slight class drop here. <laughs> well, I was going to say, our, fir- our first guest kicked the game winner against Clemson uh, this uh, earlier this week. So I'm sure he had a good night. Um, I'm sure Sim par- partied pretty hard after the Super Bowl. Y- you probably do, you know, some some partying equal to that too, right, Jason? I, I, you know what, you know, I'm learning how to crock pot lately. That's my, uh, my, <laughs> big, my big thing. I, I, did, uh, I did a pot roast last week, and uh, we're trying ribs tonight. So it's a pretty swinging life. Here as a uh, podcaster slash racing personality, and you're an award show host, right? I mean, uh, tell what, what's what's uh, educate me on what what the Beamy Awards are all about. So the Beamy Awards are, are really stupid, but they're fun. So I uh, this is this will be the fourth year we've done them, and I honestly just thought it would be a fun idea a few years ago to do kind of a Twitter themed award show in the world of horse racing, which is what I what I work in, and. There's so much absurdity on Twitter, and there's, you know, there's a lot of venom and a lot of fun and all that, but there's, there's a lot of just goofy stuff and just things that I find funny that others might not see, so I kind of wanted to show you. So we always have really weird awards that are, you know, Twitter-themed. A lot of, usually it's just something that I, I think is funny, and we kind of make it into a night, but the racing community, 
really, really latched onto it. And the last couple of years, it's trended nationally for like hours at a time. And uh, it's been the number one trend in Louisville and Lexington and other markets that are kind of racing strongholds. And uh, it, it's kind of become a lot bigger thing than uh, than it really should be. But uh, it's really just a, a fun night for everybody in racing to kind of let their guard down and, you know, bust each other's chops. And there's a lot of a lot of jokes created and little barbs traded. But we, it's a really fun night. We just announced today that it's going to be uh, Friday night. December the eighth. So uh, the we're we're in the the final uh, run up to the Beamy Awards, and and the key is the Beamy Awards too. You know, everybody every year is always like, "Oh, I, I'm going to win a Beamy for this and that." You can't you can't anoint yourself no. a Beamy Award. It's the the, the more obscure no. they are and under the radar they are, the better they are. You yeah. know, well, the, the and, more and that's the thing. Nobody nobody knows the categories till till I announce yeah. the winner. So. You, yeah, that's what's great. So you, they're different well, every year. The categories change. Well, people, you know, there's been some people different get, ones. People get mad at me. You know, people get mad at me because they want to bet on them, but. You know, it's uh, I, I, I got my whole thing is I got to trust my gut with what I think is entertaining and funny. And uh, I've had I've, I've had big racing corporations want to sponsor it, big entities, and I just can't pull the trigger on that because it just feels like it would be kind of weird to uh, to be sponsored and all that kind of stuff. But we'll see. Maybe next year. Well, uh, Jason, I know um, you're a, a big baseball fan, so I got to pick your brain a little bit because when I'm following you on Twitter. A lot of you're going to see a lot of racing stuff, but um, you, uh, you played baseball growing up. You seem like you love it. I love seeing the the pictures of your old uh, little league games or stuff with you and your pops out at the field. Uh, you've been watching the playoffs. I texted you. We were watching the Dodger game last night. Unfortunately, the Dodgers weren't able to get the job done. But what what are your overall thoughts of the playoffs right now? We have four teams left. Uh, um, who do you think has the edge right now? Well, I mean, obviously the Dodgers are in great shape, especially going into tonight. If they lose tonight with with Kershaw, then you can hit the panic button a little. But even worst case, they're still going back to L.A. for two more games. I mean, they're they're really, really controlling that one. And it's so fun. The Dodgers are good. And, and I hate the Yankees. I really do because, you know, they always knock the Mariners out uh, when we had a good team in 2001 and other years. So, But the Yankees are actually really fun to watch this year. And they just have a good team and a good bunch of guys. And, uh, you know, I think a New York-LA World Series would be really, really cool. I mean, we saw the ratings last year for the World Series were huge. And they I know they outdid the NBA Finals. And, you know, for years I've been hearing about baseball is kind of tailing off a little bit. So, uh, you know, when you get teams that people are interested in, in seeing, the ratings, I think, will be there. But, uh, I don't know, I, I've always been a baseball guy. It was my first love. And my dad was a big baseball player. And so it's always been a... Uh, something i enjoy and the playoffs are just great because it's it's every night and there's you know, multiple games and you know when i when i am doing my crock potting i got four or five hours to kill so it's perfect well uh jason let's talk a little bit about some of your writing because uh southbound awesome well tell us tell us a little bit about what you went through um, kind of up and down with your life in as gambling, handicapping, as a track announcer. You're just going to give us a little bit of an overview for some of the people out there who don't know you. Yeah, so I mean, I grew up in a, a gambling family. My mom owned and operated a poker room for years. Uh, my dad was a gambler, a horse gambler. He you know, would take me out to the track since I was a little tiny kid. So uh, I was always involved in, in racing and around gambling and stuff. Uh, I got away from it a little bit in high school and college just because, you know, you got more important things on your mind when, uh, when you're that age. And so, you know, you're out with friends, you're trying to go on dates, all that kind of stuff. But uh, my dad got sick in 2000 and kind of as, you know, as he was 
his illness progressed. You know, he was he couldn't do a whole lot, but what he could do was go out and sit at the track. So I, I spent a lot of time with him out there in his final months, and uh, he passed away. You know, we're just gonna keep going just because it was. I think it was a little bit of a way to kind of keep connected with him and his memory and stuff. But um, I just enjoyed the, the racing part of it, and I uh, I got a job in racing. Uh, 2004 at Emerald Downs as their uh, turf writer, basically just doing news and notes stuff for the website, and it was so fun. You got to go to the backstretch, you got to meet all the trainers and jockeys, and uh, interview you know Russell Bays when he would come up, and I remember interviewing Jose Valdivia, and it was just it was just really really intoxicating. And, uh, at that same time, I got to meet Robert Geller, who was the announcer there, who's now at uh, Woodbine and uh, still does Sunland Park. And Robert's just the sweetest, best guy ever. And uh, I would watch him, and I was like, you know, I can do that. I know how to. I know how to call a race. So when we didn't have anything going on, I would just sneak over to the uh, the suite section at Emerald Downs, which were usually empty on you know slow days. And, uh, I got some binoculars, and I would just sit and practice into a recorder and did it for weeks and weeks and weeks, and finally got up the courage to give Robert my tape. And uh, he was real praising of what I was doing and, and just encouraged me. And so I started going down to Portland in the winter when Emerald ended and practicing. And, uh, ended up getting a call a few races there and got hired at River Downs as their announcer in Portland. And I was at Portland for eight years and River for three years and uh, Louisiana Downs for half a year and then uh, transferred kind of into the more radio stuff because I started doing radio in Portland. And, you know, uh, ended up switching over to doing this stuff for Bet America, which I've been doing for almost two years now. Uh, it's pretty great. I get to, you know, I get to. Uh, talk about horse racing every day and interview great people in the sport and uh you know as far as the writing thing i i my for me the gambling got to be a little bit much i was i was a little, a little too invested in it and uh and too too, too it was spending too much time on it and it was and i never had an off button like if i started losing instead of going oh well i lost a couple hundred i would just go to the atm and get more and keep firing until i would either get even or go broke and uh, you know, when the odds are twenty percent against, <laughs> it doesn't that doesn't fare very well. So uh, for me, the gambling part became a bit of an issue, and and the book was kind of written. It, I, I had quit gambling in two thousand and ten, and and it was about two or three years into that that I was just having this fantasy of wanting to go back to that lifestyle. And so I basically uh, used the book to play out the relapse fantasy as opposed to uh, actually doing it, which turned out to be a safer and cheaper and more profitable way of doing it. Isn't that something? That's that's a fantastic story. That's real raw and honest right there. Let me ask you, we've got about two minutes before we close yep. the show. Who are your favorite track announcers as a fan? It's it's kind of hard to answer that now in the sense that I'm friends with most of the guys. And so <laughs> it is a little weird. I you don't want Larry or Travis or Frank coming after you, man. You better make sure well, you mention all thing. of them, Michael Rona. Well, and, and to be honest, one of the I was telling a story about Robert Gillow the other day, and I, I've known a number of people who have said, you know, I always thought he was a good announcer, but once I met him, he became so much better for me because you know you you meet people and their personalities and you know you know them and stuff. But I will say the guys that influenced me the most growing up. Uh, when I was starting to announce, Tom Durkin's the best, and I'll, I don't care what anybody else says. There's not a, uh, a second place finisher in that, or there's not a, a you know, close second place finisher in that. But uh, for me, Vic Stoffer was real influential because I like guys that you know kind of went on a limb and took chances in their calls and weren't uh, you know weren't kind of by the book. John Dooley's very much like that, and, and Vic uh, Vic shows a lot of emotion too. <laughs> oh, Vic will cry at a call if he wants. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. He. he uh, yeah, I always I I always gauged race calls by if the hair on my arm stood up then I was moved by it. by the hair on my arm stood up more for Durkin and Vic than they did for anybody else. No, that's a uh, all, all those names that you listed there are pretty uh, 
you know, that's kind of r- right up there in the M- Mount Rushmore along with Trevor and, you know, some of the names that Gino mentioned as well, like Frank and, and, and Larry and oh, others. Rona. I mean, Rona's, Rona's incredible. I mean, he's super he's, underrated. He's so I love, sharp. I love Michael Rona. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No, he's fantastic. He's, I mean, he, his, his wit and, and intelligence shines through so much. And there's actually a guy named Larry Letterman, who's a kind of a, he's a good announcer, but he's more of a comedic announcer, but he's so smart that you miss half the stuff he says because it's just so good. Sure. Well, what's nice about today, Mike, is that we got to introduce our audience to Jason a little bit and and Simeon and, and a lot of our guests. So, Jason, what we've been doing is kind of introducing people. And then in the next month, couple months, we got to bring you back for a full show because we'll have so much fun just talking about everything. We can keep going, talking stories. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, whatever's going on in racing or sports because I always enjoy talking to you. And we'll always have to talk a little a little wrestling, too. We, I mean, I, I have to at least mention something wrestling or else uh, – Anyone out there who knows me is going to get mad at me, you know, the wrestling You fans, know, so. I, I've seen our ratings when you and I talk racing. It's not good. It goes, it's no bueno. It's no bueno. <laughs> well, it's been awesome, Jason. Oh, Thank Jason, you for give us your plugs real quick. Give us your plugs. Where can we find you? Where can we hear you? In 10 seconds. Uh, yeah, yeah, betamerica.com, uh, betamerica.com slash extra, and the Twitter at BB Awards. Outstanding. And we'll, we'll, we'll tweet all those out as well. Thank you, Jay, for joining awesome, us. Thank you. And thank you, yeah, audience, yeah. for uh being a part of this today and we'll do our Breeders' Cup show next week. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host Gino Bacola on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.